This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part one with Nakia Peterkin, we talk about her life shifting through the pandemic and what it's done for her. We also talk about the beginnings of her writing, Whose Life Do You Want to Live? So I hope you enjoy this episode and keep on keeping on. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe. And today with me on the phone is Nakia Peterkin. Nakia, thank you for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me, Clay. I recently read your book, Whose Life Do You Want to Live? It was Mm -hmm. released a month ago, if not sooner. And I, I, I love it. I love the journey that I've been able to witness you go on. And for some of the listeners uh, who have been with me now for almost three years, they'll remember that wow. you were my first interview when you were on the Disney yeah. in San Juan, I think it was. And I was in Astoria and we mm-hmm. talked for two and a half hours. And yes, you mentioned on my way to greatness, going backwards is not an option. And we then touched a year later on a Christmas special about gift giving mm-hmm. and kindness and love and compassion. And you have been such a positive influence in my life that it, it makes me emotional yeah. to say. And this book, I think, is so profound because it's never been told in this way before. You are taking thoughts and ideas that others, I have heard in other ways before, but not like this. And I don't even know if I'm articulating that the right way. Because what you said in this book is new and yet timeless. So <laughs> I know I'm teasing everything over everyone. Um, but this is not about me and how I feel about you. It's about you. So let's go back. Um, let's just go back six months. That's not too far in time. And I want to talk about the changes you've made and what happened, you know, through the pandemic and your life. Okay, we can do that. So uh, let's start with let's start with uh, being on tour with Chicago. Um, bring us through all of that and your transitions. Okay, um, so at the top of. March, uh, I was on tour, um, the national tour of Chicago and we were in California, uh, doing our shows and everything. And there were little like mutterings of people saying, Oh, I found out that, you know, certain shows of other shows or other events, large events are being canceled in California due to the coronavirus. Um, what will we know? But at that time, no one was telling us anything that, that might affect us. So we were like, okay, well, we'll just keep going. And we, we did. We just kept going um, until it got to the point where we were told, yes, the, the next place that you're going to, um, they are completely closing down that venue um, and that theater because of the coronavirus, so you won't be doing any shows. And it was literally maybe like three, four days before our first break in the tour, um, so we were like, okay, well, you know, we'll, you know, we'll come back um, from break. It'll be just a little bit longer because we don't have these shows, and then we'll just move on to wherever, you know, a, a place that's probably not as affected in the numbers. Um, because then um, it was really, really heavily concentrated in California. Um, 
as far as we knew, as far as anyone was saying in the, the media outlets anyway. Um, so there we were. We didn't do the shows. And then we were informed that, in fact, we would not be coming back as soon as we thought. Um, and that, you know, we're essentially just on hold uh, with all of this. And, you know, in the same exact time that everyone else is in right now. Um, either you're still not doing what you were doing before March, what was that, like 13th? I feel like it was like the 13th, 16th that it all happened. Yes, it um, was. So, yeah, so either it's then uh, you're not, you're still not doing it or you've gone back in some capacity, but of course not for theater because theater is different. Um, so that is what happens with tour. Uh, our tour, fortunately for us, has not been canceled. It's just being postponed as far as we know. And it is actually adding places and, you know, locations and all that cool stuff. So when it does come back, it'll be interesting to see what kind of tour it looks like then as opposed to the one that we were supposed to have um, What right now. What mental shifts have you gone through as a result of halting <laughs> your career? You know, I have, interestingly enough, not gone through too many. I was already in a headspace where I knew that there were other aspects of my life that I really wanted to have in a certain place. And my job in theater was the most solid thing at that time. So when the theater job was taken away, for me, it was a chance to focus on the other things I still wanted to do. So I didn't say, oh, no, now the one thing that I felt like was on the track I wanted to do was gone. Let me, you know, fall into nothingness. I really was like, okay, I have to take a couple steps back and figure out how I am going to proceed in the, the list of things that I still want to accomplish. Because for me... Theater, not not for me, theater, for everyone who, who has ever been a part of the theater in any aspect of the theater, the theater is fleeting. It's always been that way. Even though it's always there, we aren't all working back to back to back to back to back to back unless you are established enough as a Broadway actor or maybe a West End actor, someone who's been around a lot longer and has a type that is a lot more I want to say specific but I also don't want to say specific like unless you have a type that is a lot more available my specific type in theater there are a lot of shows that I am not in that there are no roles written for me in these shows whereas there are a lot of shows that you can put the same kind of person in any show any show you look they need a strong male figure not every show needs a strong female figure that they take seriously, which I consider to be my type. Right. So, so unless you are someone who is, whose type is always in that, that steady place, then you're used to it being up and down, up and downs in theater. So I was just like, okay, well, this is just another one of those dips. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to prepare myself for when it goes back up. So I focus on getting my home situation together because right before tour, I was making a move out of New York City 
and I postponed that move because then I booked the tour. So I was like, well, I still want to move. I'm not going back to New York City. So I didn't. And when it all ended, I just decided to come back to where my fam. a lot of my family is still mostly based in Rochester, New York. So that's where I am. And I still wanted my own place. So even though I've said it's not ideal because I don't want to move to Rochester, New York, but I do still need my own space. And I said that I will have it. I'm not, I'm not waiting for that. I'm not going to allow this time and this, this space to be the reason for me to falter on everything I still want to do. And for those who have, you know what, that's okay too, because there's a lot going on. There's a whole lot going on. You don't need to, I had this huge list for 2020 and because the world's falling apart I still gotta do it because I still gotta be strong Some, sometimes you're just tired you know and I get that but I still needed that for myself so I was able to get my own apartment I still wanted my own car so I was able to get my own car uh, and I put my energy into that and I still wanted some sort of creative outlet for myself because the one thing I did notice is that mentally and spiritually, I was not in a place that I wanted to sing. Um, and that was interesting for me because the last time I was in that space is when I started writing my book. Uh, so it was like this feeling that made me think this is the time to finish, to finish what you started. Because I was having that same exact, I was in that same exact headspace. It's like singing is what I love. It's a passion. It, it frees me. It heals me. And when I felt like I couldn't use that voice, I said, how, how else am I supposed to get this, this, this healing? Where is it supposed to come from? Oh, it's coming from another love of mine, my writing. So, yeah. I love this. You're actually leading me into the next question which is because we're going to jump around today as usual. I want to talk about the first inclination to write this book. Where, where were you then mentally or physically? And, and what was the, what was the discovery and the, the innovation of this book? Did it start off as a book or something else and turn into a book? Okay. So at that time I was actually going to do, a workshop of a musical that I'm a part of called Fora the Musical. Uh, we were doing a workshop at the O'Neill in Connecticut. And at the O'Neill, if you don't know what the O'Neill is, it is an institution where you can go. You can go there for writing, uh, music writing, musical theater writing, or play writing. Um, and those studies as an actor as well. But they also have a program where you could bring your written pieces to be worked on and workshop with the teachers and the professionals there. And so I went along with the writer of the musical I'm a part of and a couple other, a couple other actresses, and we went there. And in that time, I was in a headspace that was very non-theater-like. I just didn't want to be a part of it. I, I needed a break. And I felt I needed that break because I was no longer being true to who who I am. I felt that I had fallen into that notion of you, you get what you get, you don't get upset. And I had said, oh, well, this is 
this is what theater world is telling me they want to offer me and I have no choice but to take it. And I didn't like that anymore. I didn't want that. It wasn't true. And I had to tell myself, yes, theater, you know, people aren't just handing out jobs around here for theater. You do need to be qualified. But if you're qualified and you're not happy, is it worth the job? And for me, it is not. I don't need my resume to be filled with jobs that I took just to say I have a full resume. I want my resume to be filled with jobs that fulfill me spiritually and physically and emotionally so that I can fully, fully and truly give all of who I am to that job. And so I took a step away and I, I was telling my fellow people there that I was going to take the year off. I was going to take the year, the next year, which was going to be 2019, and I wasn't going to audition. I wasn't going to do anything pertaining to theater, and that I was just going to focus on healing my body um, as far as, like, my weight, because it, my weight is something that has weighed on me, no pun intended, for, for forever. And I kept allowing my position in theater to be something that that supported not getting into the, the healthy space I wanted to be in. Uh, not to say that I wasn't in a healthy space, because I, I could still dance, circle around many people half my size and do a lot of things. So it wasn't that I wasn't healthy. It's just I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I needed to not use theater and my type as a crutch anymore. So I had decided that I wasn't going to do it. And that night, I had with me a journal that um, a friend of mine had created for me and I just decided I wanted to start writing and I didn't know what I was going to write about but I I had all these emotions you know thinking in my head am I really not going to try to pursue anything theater related for a year like it almost feels like a death um, especially for someone who you know is so in love with theater it's a living breathing part of who I am and so I had all these emotions, and I thought I was just going to sit down and probably write a poem because I'm really big on poetry. So I figured, oh, I'll just probably write a poem. And then it dawned on me, well, wh well what about whose life do you want to live? And whose life do you want to live is actually a question in that kind of talk back encouragement forum that I had created in 2017. And I was doing that because I was actually on a weight loss journey and I kept asking myself, are you doing this because someone told you you need to do this? Are you doing this because you want to do this? Whose life do you actually want to live? Like, are you living a kid's life? Or are you living a culmination of all these other people's lives? Right, right. And I was like, so I said to myself, you know what? How about we write about that? Because it had been at that point, maybe like seven months since I had put anything on the Facebook group that I had for who's like, do you want to live? And I had an Instagram for who's like, do you want to live? And it had been seven months since, since I put anything on either one of those platforms. And I was asking myself, like, you have it, but you haven't been using it. Like, is that still something you want? And I was like, yes, it is. But something about the platforms just didn't feel like it was doing what I really wanted it to do. So I had stopped using them. And I was like, you know what, let's write. So I sat down and I dated it. Um, it was 
September 7th, 2018. And I started writing. And um, I just wrote the outline. I have it right here. I just outlined. I put chapter one. I put chapter two. I put chapter three. I put down all these chapters. I was like, I think I want at least seven chapters. Uh, you know, just spitballing and started putting names of chapters. And then I went back through and, and filled in, you know, like little like um, the style we would do when we do our little e ELA tests and stuff like that. Putting my little doctor like, these are going to be my toys. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm a I'm a writer, you know. So I was like, I I want to write it down. I want to see it physically. I want to be able to hold it. And I started writing, and I wrote consistently for the next what was that September, October, November, December for the next four months. I wrote consistently, and then I stopped writing because I went into a depression, and I no longer had the the zeal to do anything creative really so and and so you had put the book down for a period of time and yeah um yeah. i know everyone listening is going to be interested in what lifted you out of that depression mm -hmm. what lifted me it's so crazy what lifted me out of the depression was the stop of the tour coronavirus I, I stopped writing for a whole year and a half and I was depressed for about eight months of that year and a half so those first eight months I was in a deep depression and then after that I just became so busy with with theater because I in fact did not stop the theater in audition I just became so consumed that I wasn't writing and when I had time to be to myself, when, when my career stopped, when, when I had to sit in my mom's house as a 27-year-old and look at my life and say, how? How are we back to this? How many times have we said, if anything else happens and I have to sit down for a little bit, I want to be able to do it in my own place. How many times have I said that to myself over the years? Too many, too many times I had said that. Right. So I was like, you know what? I gotta get, I gotta get back to asking myself that question. And so I started writing again. And that's what that's literally coronavirus and having to sit myself down in a place that was not my own. Said it, it pulled me out. Of, it pulled me out of where I was and brought me back to writing. That's so, so, yeah, sorry. No, I it just, it, it, it's funny because myself, my brother and my sister, we literally have been talking about this so much. And you even made a comment uh, a couple of days ago to me, you know, the amount of, as the kids say, come up that I've had since the coronavirus has hit <laughs> is serious. Sure. And, you know, sure. when he, you know, people, people, and so many people have been saying it. 2020 is the worst year. 2020, and I'm like, y'all, do you realize what you're doing when you speak those words with your mouth? I have never once out of my mouth said, "Oh yeah, I had all this plan for this year, and now this year is horrible. Now this year is going to be the worst year." Now 
I didn't say it, and this year has literally been one of the best years of my adult life. One of the best. Amen. And we're not <laughs> even done with the year. And, but that's, you know what I mean? Like, people have been saying, and I even saw, like, um, a Twitter comedian, uh, comedy, uh, Lord have mercy, a Twitter comedian was like, you know, people who are saying 2020 is their best year, wow, like, you must have had a horrible life. I was like, no. No, I haven't had a horrible life. But I've had a busy life. A life that I allowed random things that really didn't mean anything to be an excuse. I've said, oh, well, this is happening, so I must do this. I'm living in New York City. Everyone is hustling and bustling. I must be hustling and bustling at all times. I must be dipping and dabbling. I'm a singer. I want to be taken seriously. If I don't go to how many ever auditions and how many ever times, then no one's going to take me seriously. All these things that aren't true. And when you fill your life with all these things that aren't true and all these things that other people say that they try to make true in your life, you end up with with all this stuff that doesn't really belong to you. And that's what my life was filled with. And my life was filled with all of these things that didn't belong to me. All of these thoughts, all of these feelings, all of these emotions that were not mine. And I finally had the chance to have the click to have some clarity when I wasn't dealing with all of those things anymore. And being able to sit in my mom's house and having to listen to her parents, all of my younger siblings, and thinking in my head, the kid, why are you here? Why, why? Why are you here? Why are you not the older sister who is out living in her own place? Why are you not there? I had to confront it. And so that's what made 2020 one of the best years of my adult life. Because the noise had been cut out. And I wasn't listening to anything other than my own thoughts. And I was finally surrounded with people who, who I could see so clearly in that. I could see where they, had, where they were living their lives. I could see where I wanted to live my life. I could see where... Their excuses were, I could see what my excuses were because, you know, the saying is when you, when you look at someone and you have a dislike, you're, you're using them as a reflection. So what you dislike in them is not what you dislike in them. It's what you dislike in, in yourself. And all I could do was face all of these things that I was disliking in myself. Because there was no tour to be on. There was no audition to audition for. There were no headshots that I needed to take. There was no subway that was so crowded I couldn't think. There were, no, there were, there were none of the crazy things that my life has been consumed and filled with since I've been stepping out into the world as an adult. And that is how I, I got here to the come up that is 2020. That's a beautiful thing. I, I know that was a ramble, but, you know, it, it, I think it made sense. No. It didn't make sense <laughs> less you all for listening through it, what you got to do. But no, it made I think sense. It made sense. I followed okay. it. I'm sure others will <laughs> or have. Um, specifically with the book, 
you have mm-hmm. this vision at the beginning of it with sitting on a porch and a day of meetings and nice cars and mm-hmm. mergers. What what is I, that's got to be completely confusing to anyone who didn't read the book. So, but the point of the episode is for someone to go get the book. So this is great. Um, what is what is that vision? Where does that come from? Well, it's the vision is a mixture of things I've seen in movies and things I've all I also want for myself. So there's a specific part in the book in that in that beginning where I talk about a wraparound porch, and for some reason my here it just feels like I want to wake up one day and open the you know my front door and have this huge wraparound porch with you know beautiful like cute little chairs and a little swing and the kids could run around and you know it could be just great and I've always wanted that for myself and so that's why I put the wraparound porch in there um but as far as everything else you know multiple cars those are the things that are shoved down our throat when it comes to the thought of success and successful people. And you think about movies, you think about books, you think about TV shows. How do people show their wealth? Or or how is wealth portrayed? Wealth is portrayed with things. So I decided to continue to go with that because that's that's how people recognize things. If I were to show you an idea of wealth that you had never heard of, you wouldn't under you wouldn't get it. You'd be like, but that's not wealthy. Because society has programmed you to believe that wealthy equals a lot of stuff. So how can you be wealthy if you only have one car? How can you be wealthy if you don't take business meetings in Cabo on your private jet? That that is wealthy. You know? Right. Um, so that is why that is why I use that, and that's where that came from, a mixture of what we've been taught, which goes, you know, goes deeper later in the book, because I don't even think that people really understand that parallel, the reason why I decided to show wealth the way I did and then talk about it later in the book, because the only reason why the majority of the world would understand that picture, that imagine this, in the beginning is because of the way we've been programmed. Right. That's, that's the only reason why people would connect to it. So that is where that came from. And then um, pushing along further to mm-hmm. having other lives, like not forced on you, but imposed on you by television, friends, teachers, parents. Can you expand on that thought? for us well sure uh, so it's pretty much like when you are first born into the world every single idea that you come across is someone else's idea because you're not in the place yet to have your own formulated ideas we're too young we're babies and we grow up and the first thing we realize is oh something is hot because when we went to grab for it, we were pulled away from it. So that must be something we shouldn't do. If I'm being pulled away from something, then maybe I shouldn't be over there. Or if you see a loved one or someone who is supposed to be a loved one and your grown-up or whoever you're with 
put, you know, put you in their arms, well, they must be safe. They must be someone I can trust because the people who I'm always with, who I recognize their faces, are giving them, giving me to them. And that's just at the youngest level, the level where we're, we're old enough to start to recognize faces, but we don't speak yet. And then we start to get to the point where we're old enough to speak and understand all of the words and all of the actions of the people around us. And that's when we are really, really listening and learning. So you hear your grown-up or whoever you're around say something like, oh, that vacuum is too loud. We need something that's quieter. Now, all of a sudden, you might have a little fear every single time that vacuum goes on because you heard someone say it was too loud. It might not be too loud to you, but now all of a sudden you have a fear of this loud vacuum. Or someone says, oh, don't turn off all the lights. He's scared of the dark. She's scared of the dark. You're probably not scared of the dark, but you heard someone older than you, someone who you look up to physically and mentally, say you're scared of the dark. So now you have a fear of the dark. And that's just at the simplest level, and it keeps going up, 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 up. You're watching your TV show, and someone tells a joke. Someone slips on a banana peel. Your first thought might be, oh, my gosh, is that person hurt? But the other character in the show starts laughing. So now it's funny. It's not a concern for someone's health. It's a funny joke. So now you learn how to laugh at other people's pain. And it, go, it just keeps going up, 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 up with these examples. So that is pretty much how we start accumulating these, these lives that don't belong to us because of the people we look up to, because of the television shows that we watch, because of the things we overhear in another room. You don't even have to be in the room with somebody to see them do something. You can hear someone do something. You can, you can, you can do nothing. You could literally be sitting there asleep, and your subconscious is taking in things that are being said. And all of a sudden, when you get old enough and you have your own kids, you're telling them, ah, don't turn off all the lights. There's a little nightlight so you're not afraid of the dark. And all of a sudden, they're afraid of the dark the same way you were told you were afraid of the dark. You haven't given them a chance. You don't even know. But because someone planted in you when you were younger that you were afraid of the dark, now your baby, as you are older, is afraid of the dark. Someone told you money equals lots and lots of things. Your favorite movie told you that. You love watching this movie. You love watching Richie Rich when you were kids. That's what you loved watching. And now, as you get older, if you don't have uh, servants or people there who can pretty much do all of your errands for you, if you don't have money just coming out of your ears, if you can't showcase that well, that's not rich. You're not rich. You don't. You don't have it. Nakia, when did you yeah. when did you first realize that the imposed, uh, you know, impressions by other people? I would say I first realized it on myself, probably when I was in college. I would say my freshman year of college, because before then I was just you know doing whatever 
was pretty much expected of me. Um, I had always considered myself to be a goody two shoes, and that was not that was not something that I I decided. That was something I overheard from my siblings calling me a goody two shoes because I was one of the you know one of the only ones who really never got in trouble, and I never got in trouble because I was so used to hearing my mom say. You know, Nakia, I, n- I never have any issues from Nakia. I don't, she doesn't get calls home saying she's been bad at school. She doesn't get bad grades. She doesn't get this. She doesn't get that. And so I kept up with it. I was like, well, that's a great thing. My mom is bragging that I, I don't, she doesn't have any issues for me as her child. And so I just keep going. But then it turns to the siblings like, yeah, but, but you always doing this. You always doing that. And then all of a sudden I became a goody two-shoes. And I didn't want to do anything at all that could possibly even remotely put me in a light that was one I hadn't heard growing up because then I wouldn't be the person that I was told that I was. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.